Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, and we take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. You can always join us live each Sunday morning at 8.30, 9.45, or 11 a.m. at our Rock Spring, Georgia campus, or at 11 a.m. at our Rossville, Georgia campus, which is just outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Take your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. Now, 1 Peter's almost all the way at the end of your Bible. If you go to the book of the Revelation and turn left a little bit, you'll eventually find 2 Peter. And if you keep going, you'll find 1 Peter. So there you go, 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm starting a new sermon series today that's going to go for three weeks called A Marriage Minute. And we're just going to spend a minute, minute on your marriage. We're going to put your marriage on the clock and see what we can do to make a, a, a bad marriage good and a good marriage great. And so we're going to talk about marriage a little bit today, and man, I'm excited about today's sermon. Next week, I'll preach one of the most important marriage principles you'll ever hear in your life is next week. You don't want to miss it. It won't be the same uh, watching it later on, but man, do everything you can do to get here. It's going to be uh, great. I'm really excited about this marriage series I'm going to do, 1 Peter chapter 3. Today, I want to do this. I want to kind of set the tone and and preach this sermon. Take the time to pray for your marriage. Take the time to pray for your marriage. Let me walk you through that. Talk about how important that is for your marriage. But then marriage is taking a beating because young couples are living together at a greater rate than they ever have in the history of America. Over the last 50 years, did you know that that in 2018 was the first time, or the last five years is the first time that 18 to 24 year olds are living together, more 18 to 24 year olds are living together unmarried than are married. 18 to 24 year olds, if you go back to 1968, 40% of 18 to 24 year olds lived together married, 0.1% lived together unmarried. You fast forward today, not only is the institution of marriage taking a beating, but now more couples are living together unmarried than are living together married. So let me reiterate myself, sexual relations outside of God's design is wrong. Living with a partner before marriage isn't smart, it's sin. I know what y'all are thinking, where's all that funny stuff you usually start a sermon off with? I I know, I know. I I just got to get it in, so I'm having to dive in with both feet today. Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, but because of sexual immorality is so common, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife, and each woman should have sexual relations with her own husband, own wife, own husband, own wife, own husband. Anything outside of that is wrong. And look, even, even science and psychology tell us that. Here's what we learn when we study cohabiting, that living together is considered to be more stressful than being married. And some of you are like, it was more stressful than being married. I definitely don't want to do it. Good move, man. Good move. And, um, just over 50% of first cohabiting couples ever get married. So the couples always say, well, we're doing it because we're eventually going to get married. Uh, about half the time you wind up getting married. In the United States, in the UK, couples who live together are at greater risk for divorce. Than not. So the whole reason for it is they say, well, we want to get married. We want to, you know, we want to build a life. And then we well, you, greater risk for divorce if you live together before marriage. Cohabiting couples had a separation rate five times that of married couples. 
Cohabiting couples are more likely to experience, get this, infidelity. Why would that be? Because you started your marriage off on that foot. That's why. When you live together before marriage, you start your marriage off in an immoral relationship and you can't be shocked when one develops later on in it. And then number six, compared to those planning to marry, those cohabiting have an overall poor relationship quality. They tend to have more fighting and violence and less reported happiness. So marriage has taken a beating and I'm not done. You run the numbers from 1960, 1980, 2017. Here's what we discovered that in 1960, 50 year olds, look at 1960, 50 year olds, read this. 20% of 50 year olds were divorced, separated or in their second or later marriage in 1960. In 2017, 38% were. Marriage has taken a beating. The institution of marriage has been eroding for decades. The traditional family, the way God set it up, has been under attack by the enemy for decade after decade and decade. And here's what I, look, I'm going to turn the corner here. And I know why all that's fine and good. I get it. Here's what I know this morning is you sit here at Rock Spring or in Rossville. As you sit here, you're not really concerned about the institution of marriage. You're not really concerned about the big picture of marriage. What you're concerned about is your marriage. Because your main concern this morning is your marriage is under attack. Your marriage is the devil is coming against your marriage. As a matter of fact, here's what I want us to do today. I want us to self-diagnose our marriage. Right here, I'm going to put some questions up on the screen. Do not answer out loud. I'm going to self-diagnose. Really, don't answer out loud. <laughs> Ask yourself this question. Is there more arguing than affection in your marriage? If there's more arguing than affection in your marriage, your marriage is currently under attack. Number two, is there more fighting than fun in your marriage? I mean, it should be known if you're going to be honest that there is more arguing and fussing and fighting and yelling and screaming than there is fun and affection going on in your marriage. If you are, your marriage is probably in trouble. Number three, is there more eh than electricity? What is eh, preacher? That is, do you love your husband? Eh, it is what it is. That's what it means. <laughs> if your wife feels more like your sister and your husband feels more like your brother, you got eh going on. Here, here's a good question. I mean, it's self-diagnosed. This right here is going to tell you a lot about your marriage. Number four, do you dread a drive? If I said to you, hey, I want you, I want you and your spouse to get in the car and drive to Oklahoma tomorrow, would you be like, yay, I can't wait to spend time with them? Would you, would you be like, hey, can we invite somebody else? <laughs> can he take a friend? Because I don't really want to be in the car with him that long. <laughs> Number five, hey, are you keeping secrets? Are you keeping secrets? If you're keeping secrets, your marriage is already in trouble. Are you hiding your phone? Your marriage is in trouble. And finally, number six, on a scale of one to 10, are you less than a 10 in happiness and satisfaction? Are you less than a 10? You can self-diagnose yourself there, but I'm going to tell you, your marriage is probably under attack. You know marriage is under attack. It may be your uh, parents whose marriage is under attack. It may be your children. It may be your grandchildren. It may be a friend, a coworker. Chances are there are few of us that are spared in this room tonight. And here's why. Our enemy wants your marriage destroyed. 
Our enemy wants your marriage destroyed. Why? Because our enemy knows that if he can destroy your marriage, he can occupy you away from kingdom things. What do you mean? God has called you to do kingdom things. No matter who you are or where you are in life, God has called you to do kingdom things. And if he can remove you from that space where you're supposed to be serving, that space you're supposed to be witnessing, that space you're supposed to be doing something for God, if he can roll a grenade into the middle of your marriage and get you obsessed with the fighting that's going on in your marriage, he wins. You know what he does? He sends his horde from hell in to occupy the space you're supposed to be occupying. Of course, he wants to destroy his marriage because here's what he knows. If he can get you consumed with the state of your marriage, you'll lose all usefulness for the Lord. He wants to destroy your marriage because, number two, he wants to destroy your witness. See, your marriage is supposed to be a picture of the Christ church relationship. When I marry people, I always say that. It's a picture of the Christ church relationship. Your marriage is supposed to be a witness to a lost and dying world. That they see your family. They see your marriage and they want what you have. But if what you have is worse than what they have, they don't want what you got. He wants to destroy your marriage because it can cost your family their souls. What do you mean, preacher? When a marriage falls apart and busts apart, I've, I've seen it over and over again. Inevitably, one or everybody gets out of church and future generations suffer and often live and die far from God. He wants to destroy your marriage because he simply, unashamedly, simply wants to make your life miserable. I know some of you think, well, that's not very nice. No, that's why we call him the devil. He is not very nice. He delights in simply making your life miserable. So some of you here today, you diagnose, you listen to that, and you are under attack. For some of you, it may be your parents, your kids, your friends, your coworkers. How do you start to fix a bad marriage? How do you start to fix a, mar a miserable marriage? Well, Peter gave us an idea. So stand with me as we read God's word in honor of reading God's word. First Peter chapter three, and look beginning in verse number one. In the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live. When they observe your pure, reverent lives, don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate ha hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry or fine clothing, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight from the past. The holy women who put their hope in God also adorned themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Just let that sink in for a minute. <laughs> I think Lord Joel has a nice ring to it. I can't really get anybody else to buy into it, but uh, Lord Joel sounds good, but we're, we'll cover all that in a few weeks and... You have become her children when you do what is good. Do not fear any intimidation. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life. Here it is. So that your prayers will not be hindered. So that your prayers will not be hindered. Thank you. You may be seated. Paul addresses the responsibility of the husband and wife, and he concludes it on this matter in that last phrase, so that your prayers will not be hindered. That is uh, rightly interpreted, the final phrase, to the husband and the wife. 
That is the ending parenthetical phrase that covers all the verses above it. It's not just a word to the husbands. It's a word to the husbands and wives. Do all of this so that you have a good marriage, so that your prayers be not hindered. Now, here's what I believe Peter's trying to get across to us. That prayer is to be an integral part of our marriage and family life. He's not talking about praying in general. He's talking about praying for your family, praying for your marriage, praying for your husband and wife. And I want to tell you this. You need to have prayer to have a great marriage. You need to have prayer to navigate your marriage. You need to have prayer to rescue your marriage, to have the right marriage. You have got to take the time to pray. And that's not just a given. That's not so easy. There's some things we need to know about how to pray for our marriage. So I kind of want to use that phrase so your parents be not hindered. I just want to dive off and I want to give you some things we need to know about praying for your marriage. Number one is this. I want you to know prayer changes you. Prayer changes you. Now, normally, when we start praying for our marriage, it's because we want prayer to change our circumstances, right? Like most people don't pray for their marriage until something's wrong. And so when your, when your uh, marriage goes bad, we tend to get on our knees. And here's what we say, God, we got into a knockdown drag out last night. Or as I call it, there's a Greek word called uh, slobber knocker. We, we got into a slobber knocker last night, dear God. I didn't mean to use such a big word on you, but we got into a slobber knocker last night, God, and my marriage is, is doing bad poorly, and God, here's what I need. I need you to fix it today. And when we go to God in prayer, what we tend to do is pray for the circumstances that we find our marriage in, but here's what you need to know. God is not as concerned about changing your circumstances as he is changing you. You're going to discover that when you go to God and you pray for God to change your circumstances, that's a great idea. I'm not against it at all. But here's what you're going to discover, that the conversation is going to change and prayer is going to become more about not changing your circumstances and more and more about changing you. See, prayer is not about bending God to your will. Prayer is about bending you to God's design. Here's how we pray to God. We say, God, just four quick things, Lord. You know, make him a better husband or make her a better wife. Put my marriage back together and help me win the lottery. That's all we want, God, those three things right there. Make them better, put the marriage, win the lottery. It's all we ask for, God, it's not much. And we go to God with our will written on our hearts or in a piece of paper in our minds. And God's like, oh, that's a cute piece of paper. But let me tell you what I'm more interested in. I'm more interested in not prayer changing your circumstances, but prayer changing you because it may be that you're in this circumstance, not so that it needs change, but I use this circumstance in your life in order for me to change you. When you begin to pray for your marriage, what you're going to discover is that the conversation is going to leave your marriage with God and it's going to get more and more about you. You went to prayer thinking you were talking about one thing, but you're going to wind up in prayer talking about something else. How many of you have ever... uh, it's not a great picture, but how many of you have ever gone on one of those timeshare weekends where you got a free weekend and a six-inch television? How many of you have ever seen that before you ever done that? Like, if you've never done that, it usually be a big thing. I never see it now, but we, Sherry and uh, I and a couple friend of ours years ago, we went and did it over in Hilton Head. We got a free uh, uh, two or three days, I don't remember, in Hilton Head. And, uh, you know, all you have to do is sit through the sales pitch and for a timeshare. Now, I'm not against timeshares at all. As a matter of fact, I, I, I'm... I'm 
I owned one at one time for, for 14 hours. And so uh, it was this time. And so we go there and we give each other the speech before we get there. We're like, hey, we're not buying anything. And I'm like, no. I said, babe, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to tell him we're not interested. Like, it's not our thing. And I'm just going to tell him right up front, maybe we won't have to sit through the two-hour spiel or whatever. I'm just going to tell him, hey, guy, we're broke. We don't have anything. You know, whatever it takes, you know, like uh, whatever. We just, we're not interested. But we go in there and um, there's about 10 other couples. And so I don't really have the opportunity to do that. And he's taking us through the spiel and the slideshow and walking us around the place. And man, it's start, the timeshare is starting to sound great to me. And I looked at my wife and I said, man, that's a good deal. And she's like, hey, we're not buying. Right? I said, I'm not buying. I don't want to buy it, but it's a good deal. And we kept walking for another 15, 20 minutes and talking. And he's telling us all this stuff, answering questions. And, and she says, well, I'm going to tell you, that is a good deal, isn't it? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're not buying, but no, no, we're not buying, but it's a good deal. And I'm telling you, we walked and talked to her 15 minutes later, and I done, I done whipped out the checkbook, and I was writing a guy a check. I bought a timeshare. I signed on the dotted line. Now, I couldn't find out the guy was high and told us a bunch of lies, and we got it reneged all the next day. No joke. True story. <laughs> we... Uh, we had it annulled. This is why we had it. We had it annulled the next day. Um, but I, I went in with one conversation, and which is we, we won't buy no matter what. And I came out waving the timeshare flag. And I tell you, when you pray, it's a little bit that way too. You, you you think you're having one conversation, but more often the prayer changes you. Why is that? Here, here's the great principle. Listen, you cannot spend time with the Lord and not be changed. You can't spend time in God's word. You can't spend time on your knees and not be changed. God's word, God's spirit and prayer have a way of doing something in your heart and life that whether your circumstances change or not, God will change you. Great example we have in the Bible is, is this, Exodus 34, as Moses descended from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands. As he descended the mountain, he did not realize that the skin of his face shone. Why? As a result of his speaking with the real Lord. As a result of his speaking with the Lord. Now, I don't think that radical change is going to happen to me and you. But here's what I know. When you spend time with the Lord, can I tell you what's going to change? Your attitude about your marriage is going to change. Your attitude about your spouse is going to change. Your anger that you have bottled up in your heart is going to change. Your bitterness that you're holding on to is going to change. Your unforgiveness in your marriage is going to change. All that happens because prayer changes you. You want help in your marriage today, get on your knees and pray. But don't be surprised that when you start praying for your marriage, the greatest work is done in your life. And so the second thing that happens when we pray, number two, prayer corrects you. I don't say a lot of brilliant things, but listen to this. This is, this is, this is life-changing. I need you to hear it. The greatest tool in the devil's marriage arsenal is this. He gets you totally focused on the other person. That is single-handedly his greatest tool in the marriage arsenal is he gets you totally focused on the other person. Totally. I've yet to see someone, including me, who has any self-awareness at all when it comes to our marriage. We only see the problem of our spouse. And the devil's greatest tool is he keeps you focused on them 
so that you can't see your own reality. And prayer is the only thing I know of that will change that. Look, look at what David prayed. One of the greatest prayers in the Bible. Here's what David prayed. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. See if there's any offensive way in me. Offensive way in me. See, prayer gives you perspective. It will not only change you, but prayer will convict you and prayer will correct you and prayer will stop you from always looking at your spouse and get you looking at yourself. Josh and I tried to take up golf lessons uh, a year ago and uh, uh, golf again. And so we... Uh, we, we went to play golf and Sherry got me a new set of clubs and, and Josh not played very much. And I played a little bit over the years, but I hadn't played in 10 years. And so we went and played a little bit and just in private, you know, we didn't want anybody to see us. And so uh, I kept, Josh not played much. So I kept correcting his swing. I kept saying, Hey Josh, you need to do this with your feet and you need to, you know, shoulders and arm, all this. I just always like, Hey, I'm not trying to tell you what to do, but don't do that. Do this. And so I was, I was always telling him what to do and what wasn't working really well. And so uh, for Father's Day last year, Sherry and Michaela gave us uh, golf lessons, golf lessons. And so we went to the Chattanooga where we got our golf lesson. I never had a golf lesson before, maybe you have, but what they have is they put you in a room that you hit kind of out of garage door and they got cameras everywhere and the cameras watch your swing and they analyze everything. Like you see yourself on video and slow-mo and they analyze your swing. They got all this, I mean, numbers are everywhere and they track how far the ball went and what kind of power you hit it with and all that kind of neat stuff. And so uh, I went first and, and for an hour I watched my swing and hit it. And, and you know what? When I hit a golf ball, in my mind, in my mind, when I hit a golf ball, I always thought I looked like Tiger Woods when I hit it. <laughs> right? That's, I, I thought, me and Tiger, man, we, we, I'm good at this. And then I saw myself. And I kind of looked like a, a beach whale with a broken limb. I don't know. It just, it, it was not, it was not what I thought. It was not what I pictured. It was pretty humiliating for about an hour, five, literally about 15 minutes in of the hour. I said, hey, I'm good. Like, I, I'm, I, it's bad enough. And he said, hey, he, he was like, hey, there's not much wrong with your swing. We just need to remake your stance and everything about your swing. But it's good. It's good. We just need to do it all. We just need to fix it all. Fix it all. And Josh gets up there. Do you know how much advice I gave Josh? None. Do you know how much advice I've given him? None. You know Why? Because I've already got an in-depth look at my own mess I call a swing. I'm not giving anybody else any lessons. And can I tell you that's exactly what prayer does for you? It corrects you. You go from thinking they're wrong to knowing you're wrong. You go from worrying about their shortcomings to knowing about your shortcomings. You go from caring about their weaknesses to caring about your weaknesses. Prayer will correct you. And if you'll get on your knees and pray, you'll be shocked at how God will change you and God will correct you. And your marriage will start getting better just because God's doing something in your heart and your life. Let me tell you the third thing you need to know about praying for your marriage. Praying the good times so you won't have the bad times. I've almost never met a man or a woman who earnestly prayed daily for their marriage that, hard, that had hard times. Hear that statement. I've almost never met a man or woman. I don't think I ever have, but I'm going to say almost never met a man or woman who prayed for their marriage daily who had hard times. I've never met 
a person in hard times who didn't pray for their marriage. But I've rarely met a person in good times that did. Does that make sense? I've never met anybody who's going through a rough time in marriage who didn't tell me they were praying. But I've rarely met a person who was having a good marriage who prayed for their marriage. You know why? We, we wait till the bottom drops out before we decide to turn to God. So you've got a bad times prayer, right? The bad times prayer is, God, my marriage is bad. We want it to be good. But can I tell you this? There's also a good times prayer. That is, God, my marriage is good, and I want my marriage to be great. I don't want it to be bad or good. I don't want it to be good. I want it to be great. And if we would concentrate more on going uh, from good to great, we probably wouldn't hit the bad. Listen, I, I'm married to Sherry. I, I outpunted my coverage, married over my head, whatever euphemism you want to use. I did it. Like, I did it. She's, she's better than me and everything. And I introduced myself, hi, I'm Sherry's husband. You know, like, that's who I am. Uh, but our marriage is great. Fantastic. Couldn't, I mean, be hard. Imagine it better. And do you know every single day I pray for our marriage? It's on my prayer list. My kids have good marriage. And every single day I pray for their marriage. Why? I want to pray while th- things are going well. And I dare say that many are here today and you have a good marriage, but you aren't praying for it daily. And I want to tell you this, you are opening yourself up for the enemy. See, if I fall in my marriage, if I fail in my marriage, I want to fall from great to good and then call my way back to great. I don't want to be one fight away from a divorce. I don't want to be one slobber knocker away from a separation. No, I want to be dwelling in the land of great. So if we have a knockdown drag out one night, our marriage just goes to good, not falls apart. Pray in the good times so you won't have the bad times. Number four, I'm, I'm getting close to being finished. Prayer. Here's what you need to know about praying. Prayer is not a magic wand. This is the idea many people have. Their marriage is falling apart and they say, well, I prayed yesterday, preacher. Why are, why are things not better? It's, it's like prayer is a magic wand and you're just waving it over your marriage. Hey, abracadabra, Lord, do your thing and make it all better in Jesus' name. You know, it's a magic wand. Prayer is not a magic wand. Can I tell you this? Hear me, this is the second thing, uh, brilliant thing I'm going to say today, that the Christian life isn't designed for quick fixes. It's just not. The Christian life is designed to be worked out by sweat and work, by commitment and consistency, by dedication and discipleship. Nothing in the Christian life is designed to be a quick fix. You know what a quick fix is? It's called a miracle. Is it's I once was blind, but now I can see. I once was lame, but now I can walk. I once was dead, but now I'm alive. We call those miracles. Those are quick fixes, and those are so rare. I mean, I've never had a couple say to me, preacher, weirdest thing, prayed last night, went to bed, hated her guts, woke up this morning, loved her with all my heart. I don't know. I don't know. It's never happened. The Christian life is not designed for quick fixes. The Christian life is designed to be worked out. And if you don't work for your marriage, you won't respect it. If you don't work for it, you won't keep it. If you don't work for it, you won't enjoy it. We treasure the things we've earned more than things are handed to us. Many of you in your home, you have a trophy chest uh, or trophy case. And in that trophy case, you've got some kind of first place trophy. Your kids want it in sports or spelling bee or you want it in something. But can I tell you something about a trophy? You know what you could do any day of the week you want to. Any day of the week. You can go down to a trophy shop and you can say, I want to buy a first place trophy in blank. You say, don't you have to win it? No, they don't care. They're selling trophies. They're not authenticating titles. They're selling trophies. 
I can go down right now. I have a trophy made that said, the best preacher in the world as voted by every human being. Go put it on my shelf. You know why I don't? Because it doesn't mean anything when you just get something handed to you. And I want to tell you, when it comes to your marriage, you'll treasure it more if you've worked to have a great one. If you've worked to have a marriage that's not bad, not good, but great, there's no magic wand. If you want your marriage to survive and thrive, prayer is not a magic wand. Prayer is part of the formula of having a great marriage. Can I tell you the problem with marriage? Just rubber meets the road as plain as I can be. Can I tell you the problem with marriage is that you don't have to work for infatuation. You don't. You, look, the first time I saw my future wife at ShopRite Grocery Store in Chatsworth, Georgia, through the window of the back room door, as she walked down an aisle, I was immediately infatuated and I'd yet to speak to her. I didn't even have to work for it. You know what the problem with that is? Is that many people are running off getting married, infatuated, And you've yet to learn what real love is. You don't have to work for lust. Lust just, you you got that. You don't have to work for puppy love. Puppy love just comes. But you have to work for love and marriage because there is no magic wand. Let me me tell you what Paul said. Paul said this in Philippians. He said, dear friends, you always follow my instruction when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it is even more important. Notice this sentence. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Work hard to work out the results of your salvation. Here's what Paul was saying. There is no magic wand in the Christian life for anything. You get saved and you're not super Christian overnight. You have to work hard to work out your own salvation. Listen, that's true in your marriage. You get married and man, we think, I got married, I solved all my problems. Has that ever happened to anybody? No, no. You know what you you have to do when you get married? You know what you have to do now? You got to roll up your sleeves and you got to start working hard to have a good marriage. You say, well, Y'all have a good marriage and you've been married 32 years. Yeah, you know I've been doing for 32 years? Working myself to death. I'm just kidding. You know what Sherry's been doing for 32 years? Working herself to death. This marriage is hard work. There's no magic wand. There's only hard work of working out the grace of your salvation in your married life. So let me finish with this. How do I pray for my marriage? Let me give you this. A marriage minute prayer guide. I'm going to give you seven ways to pray for your marriage. I'm going to cover them all in a minute, but I want you to write them down if you care. Number one, let me say this. Pray daily. I don't care if your marriage is good, bad, indifferent, on the rocks, about to fall apart, or just got married yesterday. Pray daily for your marriage. Don't let marriage trouble catch you off guard. Number two, pray for yourself. Lord, I want to be the best husband I can be. God, help me to be a best husband. I pray this every day of my life. Lord, you commanded me to love, love Sherry as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And so, Lord, here's what I want to do today. I want to try to give myself for Sherry. I want to try to love her as Christ loved the church, which means I'm going to sacrifice my desires for her desires, my wants for her wants. I pray that prayer every single day of my life. Pray for yourself. Number three, pray for, pray for and grant forgiveness. 
Every day of your life, you need to say, Lord, I need you to forgive me. I, I messed up yesterday. I failed yesterday. God, I want you to forgive me. And God's going to say, well, I will, but have you forgiven her? Have you forgiven him? So you, you, you need to get in the habit of giving grace. Here, here's what I say. I say this all the time. Let me tell you this about your pastor. I give you a lot of grace. You know why? I need a lot of grace. I give a lot of grace because I need a lot of grace. And if you need a lot of grace, you better give a lot of it and pray for and grant forgiveness. Number four, pray for patience. Why? Because no quick fix for marriage. You're in it for endurance, the long haul. Number five, pray for protection over your marriage. Pray for protection over your marriage. The enemy's on the attack. Number six, pray for favor for your marriage. Pray it every day. Pray for favor for your marriage. God, I pray that I don't have a good marriage. I want your favor upon my marriage. God, I pray my marriage would be an example to a lost and dying world that desperately needs Jesus. God, just let me and Sherry love each other even when we don't, we aren't lovable. But she's always lovable. It's always me. Just want to get that clear. Pray for favor. Number seven, pray for victory. You're in a bad space, space, pray for victory. God, I need victory in this situation. I'll not let the devil claim my marriage for his own. I pray for victory. Close your Bibles and I'm finished. If I were to ask you who'd been married the most times, chances are you would say King Henry VIII, who was married six times, or you'd say Elizabeth Taylor, who was married eight times, or Zsa Zsa Gabor, who, as anybody know, married nine times. However, you'd be totally wrong. The person who holds the record for the most marriages is this guy on the screen. His name is Glenn Scotty Wolf. I think he was a preacher. I, I dig a little deeper, but I think he was a preacher. But Glenn Scotty Wolf got married for the first time when he was 22 years old. And before he died, Glenn Scotty Wolf had been married 29 times. I know. Some of the marriages ended in days, some of them ended in months, some of them ended in years, some went a decade. They studied Glenn Wolf, a psychologist did, and here's what they said about him. They said, those who have studied Wolf from a psychological perspective suggest that as soon as he committed to a person, he experienced varying degrees of remorse. Have you ever heard of buyer's remorse? His marriage would experience bumps in the relational road and he started looking for other options. He had a bump in the road and here's what he'd say. Well, it's just easier to start over than it is to make this one better. So married 29 times, lived to be an old man, fathered over 40 children that we know of. And he died broken, penniless, and alone. And when he died, no one ever claimed his body. Over 40 children, many of his wives still living. None would go to the morgue and claim Glenn Wolf's body. He kind of had, in the macro sense, what the devil puts in our minds in the micro sense. Well, I married too young, or I married the wrong person, or I married without thinking, or I did this, or I did that. If I start over, things will be better. Can I tell you that it's almost never, ever, ever the case. He did it in the extreme. We do it in the hopefully not 29 times. Don't go for a record or anything if it's you, but 
You know, the best marriage you can ever have is the one you're in praying for, trying to fix and make more like the Christ church relationship right now. And it doesn't happen because you come to church. It doesn't happen because you're a Christian. It doesn't happen because you signed a piece of paper or got married in a church or by a preacher or whatever it is. It marries because it, it happens when you get up every day and work hard to be the best husband you can be and work hard to be the best wife you can be. And you bathe your marriage in prayer over and over again every single day of the week because the devil's on the attack. That's what it takes. So would you stand with me with our heads bowed and our eyes closed? Hey, if you're here today, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You're here today, don't know Jesus as your Savior. Our pastors are here. They'd love to pray with you up front and tell you how you can be saved. If you're here today and you want to join our church, move your membership here, even be baptized. Our pastors are up front. Just walk down, take them by the hand and say, I want to be saved. I want to join the church. I want to be baptized. They'll walk you through that process and we're not here to embarrass you or anything at all. They'll tell you exactly what you need to do and and let you do it this morning. You can be saved today. Be a child of God today. Hey, but our heads bowed, our eyes are closed. I, I spoke to people who are married. So let's be honest before God. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Let's be honest before God. Husbands, don't look at your wife. Wives, don't look at your husbands. Heads bowed. How many of you just be honest and say, hey, my my marriage needs some fine-tuning this morning. Can I see your hand? Hold it up, hold it up. I can't see it, but I just want you to testify to God. Uh, Hey, hold it up, hold it up, hold it up, hold up, hold up, hold up. All over the building, all over the building. Some of you may need to ask your spouse what they think, because they could have a different opinion. How many of you would say this morning, hey, I I have a good marriage and I want it to be great. You raise, raise your hand, I have a good marriage, I want it to be great. Yeah, I see those hands. How many of you would say this, hey, I've got a family member I love. It may be a grandchild, it may be a son or daughter, maybe a mom or dad, whose marriage is really on the verge of disaster. And I'm going to commit myself to praying for them. Can I see your hand this morning? Just, hey, I I know somebody. Wow. Hands all over the building. Somebody you love. Hey, if we're going to make prayer an integral part of our marriage, can we start this morning with that? Can we start this morning? You say, preacher, I don't want to walk the aisle. Ah, Come on. If you're not going to walk the aisle, you're not going to pray probably either. Like, it's a commitment. You need to walk the aisle just to commit yourself that you're going to pray. Hold yourself accountable. You need to come pray for your family member you love whose marriage has fallen apart. Maybe come pray for yours. Come pray for yours. God draws with your spirit. You've spoken through your word in Jesus' name. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. For more information about Peavine or to get in touch with us, please visit our website, peavine.org. Thanks for listening.